the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week I paid a visit to Trinity College Dublin, our most prestigious university. Like other Irish colleges, Trinity has struggled to remain competitive on the global stage, slipping down the rankings as government funding per third-level student was cut post the economic crash in 2008. I visited Trinity to find out what's been done to replace that lost income. How is Trinity taking advantage of the campus's prime city centre location and its famous tourist attractions, including the Book of Kells? And how are commercial concerns being balanced against its academic traditions? We call this the wow factor, and it hits all the senses because... You can also smell the books. This is full of 200,000 of the library's oldest books. So these are books dating from the 15th to the 19th century. That was the voice of Anne-Marie Diffley, the Visitor's Services Manager at Trinity College. Later on in the programme, you'll hear her showing me around the famous Book of Kells exhibition and the Long Room Library. But first I chatted with Geraldine Rowan, Chief Operating Officer of Trinity College, to find out about how Trinity generates revenues to fund many of the services it provides. Geraldine, welcome to Inside Business. Um, first of all, just explain, you said to me earlier that your role here at Trinity is to make things happen, but just explain to us in a little bit more detail what that involves. Uh, Thank you, Karen. Yes, when I say make, make things happen, I'm responsible for all the services in Trinity College. And what does that mean, you know, when you talk about services? Well, I have both sides. I have central services, that's your HR, your IT, um, your um, estates. We have a beautiful estate, 45 and a half acres of estates, 167 buildings. And uh, 68% of those buildings, would you believe, are over 100 years. 25% of them are over 200 years. And... You know, we're fusing that with, with new properties, which is great. And then we have all the student services. So it's a combination of all those services. And it's really to help to make things happen. As the provost once said, we are the central nervous system of the Trinity. So our job is to make sure that the student has a very good experience and the academics also have a very good experience. And they do what they do best, which is research and teaching. Now, there's a commercial aspect to this as well. Just tell us a little bit, first of all, about the budget you have, the operating budget that you have, the number of staff, etc. I have a budget of 60 million. I have 890 staff. And, um, and that is to run the operations of Trinity. And part, part of that um, is one of my units is called the commercial unit. And very, very important unit because what we have here in Trinity, unlike any other university, we have the jewel in the crown, the Book of Kells. And as I say, our buildings are truly beautiful. So we look at the buildings and say, how best can we use that? And we're in a beautiful city of Dublin and we want to open our doors so that, for example, we have two million people that come through Trinity every year. One million of those comes through the Book of Kells. So whether it's crossing the campus to go from one side of the city to the other, to come in and have lunch or sit on the bench, that's the kind of traffic we have coming through. And we're saying, well, let's share that with others. And what that does beautifully is it brings back in funding to Trinity because we were in a financial deficit and with reduced funding from government. In fact, the government funding has gone down from 60% to 40%. So we're generating 60% of our own income, which is fantastic. Okay, so 
in terms of commercial revenue, what does the college generate from the likes of the Book of Kells sure. or from other ancillary services that okay. are offered? If I just quote some figures, five years ago, we were bringing in about 27, 28 million gross. This year, we'll, we'll hit the 50 million mark. And what's make, what makes up that is your book of Kells. So you have your visitors in the long room, but you also have the shop. And we have some beautiful products, and we're doing a lot of collaborations with Irish suppliers. So that brings in about 12 million. Then we have accommodation. We would have, um, on campus, we have 800 beds, bedrooms. and Dartry, we have 1,000. And uh, as you can see, just there on Pierce Street, we're building another 250, which will be opening up this year. So that's... So that's over 2,000 beds. That is wonderful for our students, and we have 750 beds that we have leased from third parties. But in the summer, those 2,000 beds are open to the public, and we're the biggest hotel in Dublin in the summer. Just break that down for us, uh, let's say, between the Book of Kells, between accommodation and whatever other revenue you generate. Okay, well, well, the, the Book of Kells uh, includes the visit to the Book of Kells, but also to the shop underneath, which has some beautiful products and um, uh, which we're doing, which we're continu- continuously improving with our Irish suppliers. So that's twelve million. Then on our accommodation, as I said, between the between the two thousand beds we own and the seven hundred and fifty that leased, we're the biggest hotel in Ireland in, in the summer months. So that brings in ten million, and the partnership uh, contribution then is where we do where we do third-party uh, collaborations and our, 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 our biggest one has been Bank of Ireland and it has been a great success and that brings us in $6 million. So that's the breakdown. Tell us a little bit about how that money is spent and I'm curious as well to know if there has been any pushback from the academics here at Trinity who hold this institution very dear to their heart, obviously, um, but might look with, uh, they, they might not look too kindly on you sweating the asset, so to speak. You're right, Kieran, and, and it is a fair point. Um, our focus was, because we had a financial deficit, uh, we had a strategic plan for the last five years, and there was two strategic drivers that the province and, and the team felt that we could turn this deficit around. One was global global recruitment. That was bringing in non-EU students, which, which would generate additional income, and the second one was the commercial remit. So, as I said, we have the beautiful asset here in the Book of Kells, so that was the starting point. So there was a few variables. We brought in 50 million. We'll bring in 50 million this year. It'll be net contribution to the bottom line is 28 million. And really, what happens that money? That goes right back into the centre. And what it enables us to do, because we have the financial deficit, we were allowed, or the province went ahead and recruited 40 new ushers. And that really helps the student, the staff-student ratio. We also were able to, because we, we were behind on the digital, it was allowing us to fund really strategic digital initiatives. Also scholarships. Um, as I say, a lot of our buildings are... 100, 200 years old. It needs a lot of maintenance and we didn't have large budgets for maintenance. So we were, for this arts building here now, we're after putting four million into refurbishing that. And that, so that allows us to give the student a better experience. Also, when we're doing new um, student accommodation, we were able to fund some of that. So the money goes back, but it's purely for the academics and for the students, so that we give them a better experience, really. Yeah, I think you mentioned a, a number of new ushers um, that were taken in. Did you mean professors? Uh, yes, yes, exactly. That's what they're called, yes. Right, okay. So Trinity is becoming very commercial. It's true to, it's true to say, you know, it is known uh, externally as a university and probably seen by some people as being a little bit musty. 
a little bit staid. Um, people might necessarily think of you guys uh, doing these kind of commercial deals, commercial partnerships, driving your revenue in this way to reinvest uh, into the campus and into, as you say, the students and the academics. That can be a perception, I suppose. When I came to Dublin myself 30 years ago, yeah, I used to pastor it and I thought it was a fabulous institution, but I never thought I could come in, mm. that I wasn't a student. That's what we're trying to do, is open it up, open up Trinity to, to everybody, to the community is very important. We're a very important fabric of, of, this, of the city of Dublin. And commercial, while it's important, the overriding factor is we had a financial deficit and we had to be strategic on how do we turn that around. But secondly, I think... When you come into the campus, it is truly a beautiful campus and our buildings are absolutely fabulous. And I can go to conferences all over the world and they talk about they all bring in some commercial money. It can be accommodation, it can be partnerships. No one has the book accounts. And I think it's a, it's a great privilege, first of all, to work here, but it's a great privilege that we can share the beauty with other people. And, you know, as the word gets out, as, 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 we get, as we market Trinity more and more, it's amazing, you know, we have corporates, all the big corporates coming into Dublin saying, oh, my God, can we do a special event here? Can we do special events for, you know, so, for example, in the long room, we can do events up to 200 people. And that's very special. So for the, within the community of Dublin, everybody is getting an opportunity to come in and I suppose maybe have, have their breakfast here in the morning or have lunch, sit on the bench. They're all, we're sharing what we have, which is truly beautiful. And um, even in the last two years, it's fascinating, the amount of film producers that are coming in and we, we're opening up the campus, really. So I wouldn't see it as, you know, hard-nosed, commercial, driv- drive, driving it. Or, you know, I see it more as opening up the opportunities and showcasing, like, if we have the long room... Is there something else we can do with that? If we have our beautiful buildings, is there special events we can do with that? So it's really opening up, sharing the assets. And from that, we generate income. But that income is all about the academics and the students at the end of the day. And I'm delighted to say we have turned a corner and we have, for the financial year, for the financial year ending in September 2018, we have made a small surplus. Five years ago, it was $22 million of a deficit. Wow, so that's quite a turnaround. Yeah. And still, but the two key factors was growing the students, bringing in the non-EU. So we're a global university now, but also the commercial helped. So the, the strategies worked for us. Now, Geraldine, you mentioned earlier uh, the Im- impact of having more non-EU students uh, coming to Trinity and the fact that that generates revenue for you. Just give us a little flavour for how much is generated from non-EU students. Yes, um, it was one of our strategic initiatives was um, to grow our non-EU students. So for example, five years ago, we would, on a revenue terms, were non-EU undergraduates and postgraduates, we would bring bringing in about 23 million. And today that has gone up to 38 million. So you're talking about a 50, 60% increase. And that has helped in two different ways. One, it has generated income, which is great, helps with our deficit. And secondly, it allows Trinity to be a Trinity of a global consequence. We have all the different nationalities, internationalities, different cohorts of students, and it makes for a better experience, I do believe, for the students. Sure. And have you figured out the implications of Brexit for a university like Trinity? Because obviously, if and when Brexit happens, the UK is outside the European Union, so those people coming here from the UK to study will be non-EU. It is a great concern of ours, there's no question, for all third-level universities. And it's about student mobility, and if I, you know, and it's about student mobility. For example, Trinity would be very conscious of 
bringing in the whole of Ireland from students and 20%, at least 20% of our students would be, you know, be coming from Northern Ireland. And, you know, that was always growing over the years, but it was very telling in 2018 there was a 20% reduction from Northern Ireland purely because of the uncertainty of Brexit. So it's about the student mobility. That's the key factor. Now, Geraldine, there are constant developments happening on the campus here and over the years you've also accumulated more land to build out the campus. Just tell us a little bit about the development of the campus that's that's currently underway and is being planned over the next number of years. Yes. Uh, as I say, we, we have f- 45 and a half acres here on campus, uh, 167 buildings. And I suppose what we're trying to do is fuse all the beautiful old buildings with new buildings. And the latest ones we have been working on, and they're almost completed, is the new business school. That will be opening on the 23rd of May. Uh, it'll, be, it'll be opened by our Taoiseach and also our provost, Dr. Patrick Prendergast. And um, it's an 80 million project. And it's been very successful. Opening on time, came in on budget, so that's very exciting. We have a business school already, but this is going to scale up. This will double the scale of the business school, and our focus really be our focus will be really to be one of the top international business schools. So that's what we have in there, um, and that looks into the rugby pitch. So it's lovely, and it's on Pier Street, so it has a lovely presence on Pier Street, but also part of the Trinity. The other area up Pier Street then is um, Printing House Square, where uh, we're building 250 bells, uh, beds there, increasing uh, the, the accommodation on campus. And again, that's that's facing uh, Pier Street, but also part of our campus. We're always looking to see what, what what's in the pipeline, what's the strategy. We have some exciting um, strategies coming down the line, and one of them is E3. E3 is made up of engineering, environment and emerging technologies. We've got the largest funding from the Nocturns for £25 million for this building, which is very exciting. This is Martin Nocton and his family, Glendimplex. Glendimplex, they have, it's the single largest, I think, amount any, uh, that has been given to, uh, given to a university. What that will do for Ireland, I think, is they will put out more STEM student numbers that are really badly needed. The other area that we're looking at is um, a new law school. Again, there's demand for the law school um, and maybe with the Brexit implications and everything. So how much will that cost, Geraldine, and where will it be located? It'll be located on campus between the E3 and the law school and further accommodation. We're talking about a funding of about £270 million. Wow, that's a lot, obviously. Now, is where, where's that funding going to come from? I mean, exactly. How important a part does philanthropy claim this? A very important part because we have over 130,000 alumni. And they have a great love and support for Trinity. And uh, we have been very good on the philanthropy campaign for the last five or ten years. And I'm delighted to say that the Provost is launching his philanthropic campaign this Thursday on the 2nd of May. It's going to be the biggest launch that has ever been done in Ireland for a university. And that definitely is an important factor when we're doing all of these buildings and the feedback from the alumni is yes we need all of these you know we're going to support you but even in the business school that we've just after completing uh, we got funding from philanthropy in the region of 12 to 13 million and that's from really a lot of our alumni that have gone through trinity and would be very successful internationally anybody you can name i wouldn't like to give away the surprise until the 23rd of may when the launch is happening 
Gerlian, uh, just talk to us a little bit about um, Trinity's investment in technology. You're planning to build an innovation district uh, not too far from here. Well, I'll just say when we talk about technology, I'll just speak about two things. On the digital technology, that's very important. So uh, Trinity has invested forty million in the last five years in our systems, whether it's our financial systems, um, our student systems, our core HR systems, and that was really really automate as much as possible, but to give a better experience, better intelligence and things like that. So whether it's student apps and our most demanding cohort would be the students from 18 to 22. And they are digital natives, and rightly so. And so we would have invested heavily on Wi-Fi and everything in the last few years. And it's all about giving the better experience. So that's one form of technology that we're very what we're enhancing and investing heavily on. I suppose what we're very excited about is the... T-Tech, the Trinity Technology Enterprise Campus, which is down in Grand Canal. That's like a second campus. It's about 15 minutes walk from this campus. It's five and a half acres. And really, it's about building an innovation district, which is a combination of our research. I mean, our research is growing very rapidly. In the last five years, we we have achieved a research income from 77 million to over 100 million. So we will be putting in more research centres and collaborating with Science Foundation Ireland, working alongside the multinationals, the SMEs, collaborating so that we can drive an innovation district and there will be commercial aspects to that centre also. We'll take a short break now when we return we'll find out what's happening around the Trinity campus and I'll talk some more to Geraldine about the effect of government cuts on Trinity services. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, at the top of the programme, you heard the voice of Anne-Marie Diffley. She's the Visitor Services Manager at Trinity and a very knowledgeable guide of some of the college's top attractions and revenue generators. She whisked me straight past the long queue of tourists for a quick peek at the famous 9th century manuscripts, the Book of Kells. So it's a copy of the Four Gospels. It's written in Latin. It's full of mistakes, but this doesn't matter because the book was never intended to be read. It's really a ceremonial book, altar furniture, a holy relic, if you like, an aid to faith. It's no mistake that the pages look like jewellery or uh, um, very ornate carpets. Again, this communicates the importance of these pages in a period when most people couldn't read or write. So um, to people of my generation and upwards, this looks a bit like old Irish but it's not. It's actually Latin. Um, This, in fact, is the Our Father here in Latin. You see this colour on every single page except for uh, uh, two. Here you have the symbols of the four evangelists, and on the opposite page, highly embellished on one page, you have the first words of that gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The pages are made of vellum, of calfskin, and of course this is one of the reasons why the book survived. It's tough old leather. Uh, So that is why it survived. It has been rebound at least five times before 1953. And um, because you could imagine this must have been a very heavy, unyieldy book. Um, Why it survived, we're not sure. um, Because, you know, Ireland, we all know, has a very turbulent history. Because of the Viking invasions to that part of Scotland where the, um, the book was created on Iona, 
the monks left, came to Ireland and settled at their sister monastery in Kells, County Meath. So it stayed in Kells right through the Reformation uh, until Cromwellian times when it was brought to Dublin for safekeeping. And in 1661, the Book of Kells and the Book of Durrow was handed to Trinity College where it's remained ever since. So nearly a million visitors come to view the Book of Kells every year. And just to be clear, they're coming essentially to see those four pages which you're showing us now. That's right. But we have an exhibition outside called Turning Darkness into Light, uh, which explains more detail about the Book of Kells, which explains a bit about the colours, a bit about the the, uh, writing, um, a bit about uh, life uh, as a monk. Um, We also have... um, uh, a uh, case full of the colours that were used. Uh, the colours were mainly uh, local colours. Um, the uh, bright blue colour you see there, till recently we thought was woad. We, we actually thought was lapis lazuli, in fact, is woad. Uh, woad is an indigo plant commonly grown in Scotland and Ireland. And if you remember Mel Gibson and Braveheart, you remember the blue? It's the same blue. Guess who was here two years ago? <laughs> Mel Gibson. Uh, we'll say a little bit more about him later. So we're going to move from the ninth century. We're going to do some time travelling. We're going to go from the 9th century, we're going to go to the 18th century, and we're going to go up our 1960s staircase. I love this room upstairs. We're entering the long room now, and this is full of 200,000 of the library's oldest books. So these are books dating from the 15th to the 19th century. Now, altogether, over nine library buildings, we have six million books. So we have a lot of books. Obviously, children call this the Harry Potter Library. It's not. It's our library. But we have been in a Star Wars film, Attack of the Clones 2002. You'll see an image of uh, this library as uh, the Jedi Library. And in the film was a scene, which, of course, would never happen in Trinity College. It was a scene with a very unhelpful librarian. So naturally, you're upset. No, I'm only joking. Anyway, in the end, we sold Star Wars products in the store. So this building was built between 1712 and 1732. And originally, there was only books on this level. Um, But once copyright kicked in in 1801, we're like the British Library, uh, we are a legal deposit library. This this level filled very quickly and they had what we now term Houston, we have a problem because basically the weight of the books was pushing the building uh, either side and the flat plaster roof that was here cracked. So the solution was to raise the roof, put this barrel vaulted ceiling in and fill the galleries upstairs full of books. So it's a marriage of 18th and 19th century architecture. This is a fully working library one of the great research libraries of the world. Two departments here, early printed books, and down there, the manuscripts reading room. Um, Now, we've had many uh, historic visits. We've had the Queen uh, in 2011. Uh, We had uh, Mrs. Obama and her two children in uh, 2013. We had Joe Biden here as well, twice, in fact. Uh, And our uh, last um, visit was uh, with Meghan and Harry, Uh, the Duke and Duchess of uh, Sussex. And you notice the room is lined by these marble busts and the role of men. This end, typical of an 18th century library, the Greeks and the Romans, because that's what they studied. But uh, further down the busts are men with Trinity connections. Now, women didn't come to Trinity until 1904, but we've caught up. 60% of the students are female, and um, a lot of women are in senior academic and uh, administrative posts in Trinity. So we've caught up, but we do love the men. So will any of these male busts be replaced by well, ones females? Well, they may, because the librarian who was doing the tour 
um, the librarian Helen Shenton. She uh, was bringing uh, Megan and Harry through, and Megan remarks they're all of men. So the librarian is on on record of saying, before she finishes here in Trinity College, there will be a female bust in the long room. So watch this space. Okay. The centre area here is used for temporary exhibitions and the current one is on uh, the Lakeland Poets and actually it's about Wordsworth. I think every school child remembers, you know, I wandered lonely as a cloud. I can only say the first line just to let you know. Um, but uh, this really is about his travels in Ireland. Um, apparently he loved Ireland and it's the beginning of uh, tourism writing, writing about Ireland as a tourist destination. Um, Further down here, uh, we have the harp and we also have uh, the proclamation, one of the few surviving proclamations of the Irish Republic. Actually, we have two here in Trinity College. We just go down here and have a look. Okay. Can you smell the room? Mm. You can. It's a wonderful smell, mm. isn't it? <laughs> I'd, love to, I'd love to shimmy up one of those ladders. And, uh... Yeah, I'd say health and safety <laughs> would probably get at you for that. <laughs> Um, I'm calling that smell the smell of intelligence uh, because if intelligence had a smell, I think it would smell like that. So here, this is one of the few surviving proclamations of the Irish Republic. Two and a half thousand were printed over the weekend of Easter 1916 and less than 50 survive. Uh, the second one we had, in fact, was uh, we bought in 1917. was very badly burnt. And when the conservation team began to work on it, it fell apart and baked into the back of it were 11 World War I posters. So it was probably posted up on top of posters perhaps on the GPO, and, um, but they were in pristine condition because they were, uh, you know, because the, the fire, the burning had uh, preserved them. Um, so it, it also gives a contest, uh, context to what was happening uh, at that period. Um, and then behind us here, we have Ireland's oldest harp, uh, often referred to as the Brinebrew harp. Now, uh, Brinebrew is 11th century, this is 15th century. It was found in an O'Brien castle, and that's where it gets its attribution because Brian Baru's family name was, was O'Brien. It's made of willow. It has 29 brass strings. And that is the feature of the Irish harp, that the strings are metal. In this case, brass, but apparently in medieval times, often in gold and silver. In 1860, the very enterprising Guinness family adopted the harp as their trademark. You'll see it to the left on bottles of Arthur Guinness. And subsequently, in the 1920s, the new Irish government adopted the harp as the national emblem of Ireland. Um, so we're very proud of our harp, as you can imagine. I was just going to remark, up here we have the various benefactors of the college in the reign of uh, Charles II. Uh, we also have uh, put up some 20th century benefactors here. In fact, we have a woman in the long room. We have Mary Pollard, whose uh, children's collection uh, was left to uh, Trinity College and is a, a rich uh, resource uh, of, for researchers here on the, on the campus. No, I'm really, it's, it's clear from just looking around that a lot of people visit um, this Absolutely. area every day, visit the Book of Kells, yes. visit the Long Room. Tell us a little bit about that. How many people per day can you accommodate? Well, we can accommodate up to about, uh, about 3,000 uh, people uh, in a day. Uh, we have online tickets uh, where it means you can get in a particular time slot and we also have a, a, a general queue as well. So we would say to visitors, come early and come late at the end of the day, because it's like most tourist attractions, the middle of the day is busy, whereas the two ends of the days are less busy. And how many people do you get every year? We get over a million visitors from all over the world. 
And are you maxed out in terms of capacity? In the summer months, uh, possibly. But again, if you come early and if you come a little late, uh, we will we will get you in. That was the end of my tour with Anne-Marie and pretty much the end of my visit to Trinity. However, there was time for Geraldine to show me one more location. Now, Geraldine, we walked across the other corner of the Trinity campus. We're standing outside the new business school, which has been planned and which is going to open in May. That's right, and we're very excited about that. It's a great visionary of, of our province, Dr. Patrick Pindergast. And it's open on the 23rd of May by the Taoiseach. And it's, we already had a business school, and we're, we, were, we are the premier uh, business school in Ireland. But this, what this will do is, this will double the, the size of the business school, but also, uh, equally important, we want to be one of the top European business schools. And that's very important, and also ties in with our rankings, and that will help our rankings. Yeah, rankings have been a problem for Irish universities, haven't they? All of the universities in Ireland have been slipping in the global rankings over the past decade or so, really since the recession hit. Yes, and I have to tell you, all the universities were very worried, very actually quite upset about it, because really it is a big worry. Whether we like it or not, people look at rankings, and you say, well, what's causing that? What are we doing wrong? And it's not about that. It's about the funding coming from government. The funding, for, as I said, five years later, we're looking at funding now, is down to 40%. We used to get 60% funding. And how does that impact? Well, you look at, when they're looking at rankings, they look at the number of students to the lecture, they look at research. Uh, this business school now will help, absolutely. We're doing everything within our power to get the rankings back up, but government have a, have, have, a, have a role to play, a very important role, because on one side you have the idea of bringing in these big multinationals and saying, you know, we have the best educated people in Europe and everything like that, and yet our rankings are slipping. It's, it's not a good story for Ireland, Inc., all right, Geraldine, it's been very interesting to learn a little bit about the commercial aspects of Trinity College and how it operates. Thank you for your time. And thank you very much, Karen. OK, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Geraldine Rowan and Amory Diffley from Trinity College. Uh, Declan Connor produced the show. And remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.